0: Five of my best with Steve Kilby from the church. Now watch to the end because you'll find out his number one song. Now, don't forget to subscribe. It allows you to find out immediately when I upload a new video and it helps me. Okay, here's Steve Kilby. (laughs) Steve Kilby, Five songs, I think, for someone like you, this is probably the most impossible task ever.
1: Yeah, well, I gotta say, um, I just, when I saw you said, pick five songs of yours, I just, five, I didn't agonize over it, I just went boom, 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 boom. And as everybody always says, on another day, I would have picked another five, and the day after that, a different one. So. It's sort of, it's a random five, but it's a five that I really do like. So, but it is hard out of that thousand odd songs to narrow it down to five. And I think, oh God, I've got a chance for people to hear something a bit different. So I guess that's the, that's the main thing that I think of.
0: Okay, let's kick off because the first one that you chose was Aura from Priest Equals Aura by The Church. And what's interesting about this is that in a way you need to give a bit of back history. You know, two albums before was Starfish, the North American successful album, and the record company then want another similar album. So you come up with um, Gold Afternoon Fix. But on the opening track, Pharaoh, you say, hi to all the people that are selling me. Here's one straight from the factory. And in a way, this next album, and particularly this track, Aura, sort of reflects what happened to the band and to you after that.
1: Kind of, yes. Um, Yes, I, um, so it was a very, it was a bit of a cliched old story. Um, We had some success. My first ridiculous reaction was to turn around and try and bite the ham that was feeding me by writing this nasty song and making it the first song on the record. Erroneously assuming I was now such a superstar, it wouldn't matter. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was so huge and necessary to them that they would all just get over this sort of ridiculous thing about hi to all the people who are selling me. Here's one straight from the factory. It's a really, it was a really dumb thing to do. I wish somebody had said, you know what, don't do that. But anyway, I did. And then, yes. And then that sort of album, of course, they, you know, just, Arista didn't really get behind it that much. And then the third third album for Arista comes out. It's the kind of album I always really wanted to make. I don't know why I hadn't already made it. I guess the circumstances around the first two, it was a lot different. We were back in Australia. Um, We had a Scottish producer who was a really wild kind of guy. And... um, we sort of did what we wanted to do back in the, and I think we had absorbed some of the stuff from Starfish and we'd matured a lot. And we played a lot of shows and we wrote some really good music and the, and yeah, I guess the, the lyrics are sort of, I don't know. I was, you know, with all, all of the songs, I'm a lot more on priest equals aura. That was very, that was a very one dimensional lyric. There's, very, there's a, a, that, that lyric about, um, Hide all the people selling me here's one straight from the factory it's like however on aura i like to think i got back to my usual um measure of ambiguity so it's kind of about um the song the song is is a lot more interpretable and you've interpreted as the story of what happened after that and that's a really good and valid interpretation but it's it is that and it's more than that and you know what i mean it's like it's if it, that's the beauty of music that we always think about it. One song can be so many things like a newspaper article that says, you know, John Smith is no longer in love with his wife. Um, that's the end of it. They're breaking up. That's it. That's the, the newspaper article. There you have it. That if John Smith writes a song about his wife and he's broken up with her, that song can have all the ambiguity and regret and longing and even joy and grief and all the rest of it. So exploring the sort of the ambiguity of of music, I thought this was where I became, I really became really good at ambiguity with this album, with this song. Of course, historically, it was not a good time for the church because in 1992, um, grunge was breaking out. Um, Grunge like punk before it a bit, gave the illusion that it was destroying everything that was around and that it was like a, it was a a sort of a um, iconoclastic movement of of simplicity and real feelings, tearing down the artifice of all the stuff that had started to grow up as new wave music had sort of developed into stuff like the church, I suppose, and all the rest of it suddenly grunge came along and it's like it's raw and it's wild and it's played by people a lot younger than we were even we i was 36 in that at that particular point in time and the bands all coming through of course they were all younger and wilder and sort of dumber you know like every you know all, and and we were unfortunately so sort of swept aside by grunge and the record was kind of didn't Wasn't really appreciated. Um,
0: But is it where you found your absolute direction and what you really wanted to do?
1: Yes, it really was. Um, Yes, it was, yes, where I really understood where I was going for the first time ever. I really, I felt in total control of it, Um, which is funny because we didn't manage another one, another good record, like I thought See, this is another, I made so many mistakes. I thought, now I've done this one, I can do this one every time. But I couldn't. Um, and I didn't. And um, also, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention this. Um, nine, this 1991, when we made this record, was unfortunately when I encountered um, opiates, heroin and opium. And for a little while, I really shouldn't be saying this, For a little while, it gave me this fuel and it gave me an ambition and it gave me a feeling I wanted to capture. The honeymoon period, a bit like, um, you know, like for a little while, um, the benefits far outweighed the problems while I wasn't yet an addict, while I was um, just having it of so casually and it hadn't become a way of life and i still had money so i wasn't out you know hocking my bicycle so i could buy a fix um for a while it gave me this uh, uh, a new feeling i wanted to chase this detachment i wanted to get this feeling of sort of that 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 there was a lot of history, and I understood what was going on, but I was detached from it. And and the make the music feel sort of slow and the groovy. The way you know opium, opium especially is a wonderful you, feeling. I mean, it's terrible. But you meant, you meant
0: price. yeah, but you mentioned that. But in a sense, on the album, there's a paradox which is about the effects of the drug. You know, and there's Swan Lake, which was sort of about neglect. Of your kids, so you did understand, in a
1: sense, the effect of the drug
0: as well, didn't you?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I could. I. Um. It immediately started becoming apparent, and and that yes, there are warnings. Um. But I imagine, I imagine some musician, who is just beginning to get into the opiates, could find this album and go, wow look what it did for this guy here, um, despite, you know, some warnings and stuff. It seems like it's all really flowing from somewhere, you know, it's coming on down like, um, so yeah. So but- anyway, anyway, of course, like everything else, it's like um, everything, there's, there's a good and a bad side and I'm sort of wrestling, I'm wrestling with it all. I famously always say, I always resort to this, I wanted to reconcile everything. And I'm not exactly sure what that means, but that was my ambition to reconcile all of the music and lyrics and great records and production techniques and everything, the Beatles and Joy Division and and symphonic symphonic music, Frank Sinatra and sort of everything dissonance and everything I could think of and all the lyrics and all the songs that I'd ever loved and all the books about, Magic and you know c s Lewis and all the rest of it I wanted to get it all bang on this one record that was so it you know you need you didn't need to go any further after you'd heard this record um there it all was in one huge there it all is whatever that is I had a stab at that and that's that's what it is and i I have a really I will always have a really big soft spot for this record
0: it took you ten years to actually get off
1: heroin, didn't
0: it? Um, it did, it did. So what what was the, was there a particular moment where it became clear that it had to end?
1: Oh, that moment was about three months in. <laughs> when, um, when, um, when I first started using, um, all of a sudden things began to happen to me. Um, I um, like, I would suddenly get really sweaty and then i experimented like oh i've been having this every night for the last two weeks what would happen if i stop and then i'd stop and i couldn't bear it it was like depression and anger and sadness and and almost immediately people were going you know if you're going to do this i don't want to be around anymore and sort of giving me ultimatums that started really soon um um, people, people—they were trying to keep people away. Even making this record, there were sort of guys that couldn't get in the building unless if I wasn't there. And these guys turned up, they wouldn't let them in, and I, I had to get them in and then yell at everyone like, "Don't you not let my friends in?" But of course, they were not letting them in for a reason. Um, but for for a brief time, for a brief time, I I was inspired, and I I can't. There was an Australian singer called Paul Kelly who said, people can't understand that in the beginning of heroin, in the sort of, in the honeymoon period, there's this incredible spiritual, there's this real feeling that, of course, it quickly vanishes when you become a junkie and you don't get it anymore. But in those early days, there was this feeling I really wanted to communicate musically and lyrically. This, um, this, and I I wanted, you know, the party line goes, I wanted, I did that drug so you didn't have to, so I could make a record and you could put it on and you could hear and feel what smack was like without actually having to go out and fucking do it. That That's that's kind of um, the idea behind it. Of that, I mean, very vainglorious idea, but I, I was. So as I discovered each drug in my life, I wanted to make music like that. Even if I didn't like it, I'd go, wow, this is a sort of a feeling I can try and, get with music, see if I can bring this feeling out somehow Alright, let's go to number two okay.
0: When you th- when you think of Falling, falling yeah. Speed of the Stars um, yeah. from Speed of the Stars as well yeah. and this was with Frank Kearns and um, yeah. you met Frank Kearns I think sometime in the 80s in
1: Australia, hadn't you? Um, I met him at a gig, um, the church and, and his band Cactus World News were booked to do a gig somewhere like Connecticut or Vermont. And um, we didn't hit it off at all. Um, our, the two bands didn't hit it off at all. And there was no one there to see us. And the whole thing was kind of uh, an angry and aggressive thing. And then later on, I was really surprised when I was doing a gig in England about 10 years later. And this guy came up and said, Hey Steve, I'm Frank from Cactus World News. And I was like, well I thought you hated me and he's like no no and then I went and stayed with him and and we drove around Ireland and I I sort of knew a bit about Irish mythology and I, I I'd gone through a Celtic mythology thing where I was reading all, a lot of books about Cool Koolain and Finn McCool and I you know I knew the four provinces of Ireland and I was I was really into it and um so he drove me around and he showed me a lake where there was a monster and, and we went over to see where people surfed in off the coast of Ireland and we we drove all around and um, we became friends and then we made this record. Unfortunately, in the beginning of the record, the heroine got in the problem that when he met me, I was on a brief, The when he met me in, in the 90s, I was on a brief um, remission and he met a normal me, and then he and we drove around. I stayed with him, and we we got on really well. But then, um, when I went back to make the record, even though I smuggled a load of it in there with me, um, I used it up pretty quick. I had absolutely no. It was like asking a cat to look after your goldfish. It's like I had no. Um, I, nothing could stop me just using it, and then I ran out and I got really sick. So we had all this. Music we'd started and never finished and we stayed friends from throughout the years amazingly and and then finally came over to australia and said come on we've got to do this and he came over a couple of times and um i sang it and we put more instruments on and then we wrote some new songs as well um and yeah this is this is from one of the new songs when you think of falling um one of it's not one from the original session in the nineties, it's one from in about two thousand and fourteen or something. Um so yeah, it it's uh it's me and him and um I I do the vocals and write the words and um play bass and keyboards.
0: But this is and the mention of Icarus in the clouds. clouds, isn't it? This is this yes. one. Yeah.
1: Icarus in the clouds, flying around so proud. What do oh you think... boy, he's got it made Oh boy, please stay in the shade
0: Yeah. What do you think when you work with someone, what do you think you um, they learn from you?
1: Um, well, they can learn all my recording techniques um, and they can see Grant McLennan. When Grant McLennan from The go and I made a couple of records I learned from him that there is still very much a place from guys just picking up an acoustic guitar and sitting down, strumming the first chord and go, I was walking down the street. And suddenly there's a whole song and they're playing the chords and writing the words bang on the spot. That's what I learned from him. From me, he learned that you can start off with a little noodle you can start off with the smallest thing and then keep building on it and building on it and building on it. And eventually you've got this sort of whole backing track that you couldn't have written the other way of just sitting down with the guitar and singing. I think, I think that's the thing they can, they sort of learn, people learn from me. Um, the, the way I, I approach recording and I'm very, I'm very cavalier and I, I sort of work intuitively and I, I really I know it's a real cliche to say this, but I treat the recording studio like an instrument to um, play the play the studio, like having the faders going up and down, like you're moving your fingers up and down on a string or something. Um, And I did a lot of time on my own in my own little studios, figuring it all out. And I have my own kind of methodology and sound and approach that I use. I think, I imagine that's that's what they learned from me. Um, I don't think anybody else, look, everybody does everything differently. Everybody sees stuff in a completely different way. That's the amazing thing about music. You sit down with five musicians and you start talking about a piece of music and you realize everybody within that five-man group is seeing this piece of music in a different way. Some people are thinking about the melody. Some people are thinking about the drum beat. Some th- people are thinking about the pr- production. Some people think about the words. Other people are thinking about the general effect. Other people are thinking, is it different enough from the other songs? Or does it sound like something else I know? Or is it is it a downer? Or is it an upper? Or is it too puerile? You know what I mean? So everybody, nobody has, it's like a jumbo jet. They say there's not one man on earth knows everything that happens on a jumbo jet on, on every part and every, every, what every part of the jumbo jet does and all its mechanics and all its, um, you know, all its levers and wires and screws and nuts and bolts and things. No one can know all that. And I think a piece of music is like that. And um, I have a very narrow sort of thing what that I do with music, but I really know what I want to do. And I, I I think my greatest strength is I can very quickly spot something good. I can hear a phrase go past just once. So we can be jamming. I can be jamming with someone for 20 minutes, and we're jamming and jamming. I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then suddenly at all the lines, that jam lines, I go, stop. Okay, roll the tape back to that spot there, and then roll back, and I, there'll be a little thing in there that I go, that thing there is what we need to work on. And it always seems to be like, if I hadn't have said that, nobody else in the room would have noticed that little thing go past. That's what I'm really good at, spotting Spotting potential in something. That's my main kind of job.
0: You mentioned, uh, like, interpretation in, in your lyrics, um, but there's clearly, you know, metaphors which um, allow that interpretation as well. And if we look at your third choice, Pangea, which is from Untitled 23... Um, yeah, yeah the 23rd album the church of course um yeah i mean it's clearly uh, for me i'm going to say what my interpretation but i think it's pretty clear on this one really the metaphor of um the continents being together which was pangea um breaking up is then the metaphor for the breaking up of interpersonal relationships
1: i look that is look that is totally valid And that's the first time it's ever, no, it's the first time it ever occurred to me. And like, I would never, I would never say that isn't it. I go. Wonderful. That's a new, that's a new interpretation that I wholeheartedly embrace. And whatever someone's interpretation of that was, if it felt, if it feels good to me, I'll go, yes, that's what it is. But in another way, that isn't it at all. It's like, and you know, usually you don't get to ask these questions about songs. If you love a particular song that somebody does, you, you very rarely, unless you're maybe you, do you actually get to meet this person? And go, hey, what is that really about? Normally, you just have to go, I think it's about this, and 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 they say you know, that so. It...
0: Hey, what is it really about?
1: It's not. Look, I, I'd have to say. If I say it's not about anything, would that would you would you look down your nose at it more? If I said I have left this so open, I wanted to have I, this is what I wanted to have a song where the verses were like Bob Dylan. So I'm singing like so I'm singing like Bob Dylan. I'm singing like you got your hand on my heart, you got my hand round your throat, you better jump on the clock, and then suddenly in the chorus. It jumps out of that into the Beatles. And I just needed a word. I just needed one word. It's like, and what the word that came to my head was Pangea. And there it is. And then the, 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 the songwriting spirit and everybody around goes, yes, that works. That's it. You've cracked the code. And then you put the song out. And then years later, people all around the world go, this is about breakups of, of relationship. It's about the breaking up of a continent. You know, this is about... And and really, there was no... Like a, an abstract painting, there was no... It was to, there to be whatever people wanted it to be. But but sometimes in the early days when I used to say that, when I used to try and explain, and they go, oh, this song's about you breaking up with a girlfriend. And I go, no, actually. And they go, what is it about? And I go, well, it isn't really about anything. And they go, oh... And then they'd feel like a fool. And then they'd be like, well, I really was liking this song. And now I found out it isn't about anything. I feel like I'm tricked. So, well, no, because, be really okay. Careful.
0: Yeah, no, I get that. But I mean, you know, when you look at Bowie's cut up technique, and I know that, you know, you were a yeah. massive Bowie fan, and I was as well. And yeah. that the, the, the cut up technique, obviously, what that facilitated as well was multiple interpretations. So, in a of sense. Course. This is, of course. You know, this is uh in a sense why your songs are so loved by so many people because they can put themselves into the song.
1: Okay. First I okay, I agree and thank you. Let me say this. When I watch films of Bowie doing the cut up technique, boy, he's he's feeding them some good words. Like, you know, he no matter Okay, he's introducing this random element of chance into the whole thing, but boy, oh boy, he's choosing the words to cut up and reorganize. He's not, you know, he's not just cutting up the um, a, an article about a racehorse. You know, he's he's got beautiful things in there. So when it is cut up and recontextualized, he is still the guy who chose all of that material to be cut up and recontextualize. Um, I do much the same as him, except I don't actually have the paper and the cutting up. I just do the cutting up in my head. I have all the, I go, oh, I need a syllable here and I need a word here. And sometimes just like Grant McLennan showed me, I sit down and the engineer says, okay, today you've got a song. He puts the song on. He says, the singing's going to start here. One, two, three. And often I can just go, yeah, well, I was walking along and, I... and then suddenly the words, the sort of the first lot of words come out. And then I've got, I'm on the track track of, I'm on the trail of the song and it all sort of sequentially downloads. Sometimes I get completely stuck and I do, okay, time for a cut up. Um, I'll just take a, it always amazes me how you can have a song where the chorus has absolutely nothing to do with the verse. You can't do that in many other art forms. In music, you can. You can have a a verse that's like this, and then suddenly the chorus come along. It can be a different time, different key, different singer, and the words could have absolutely nothing to do with what you just heard and what you hear after that. And yet if it's a really good song that's done well, the listener will put it all together. And when the listener puts it together in their own way, they will come up with some fabulous interpretation that will really delight them, and then they'll go, "Wow, isn't Steve Kilby a great songwriter? He's made me feel like this." Actually, it's their great interpretation. I've just given them some sort. Of, I've given them some words to work with, and then when they when they figure it all out and they come up with what they come up with, they attribute it to me, but it's really them as well. And I really like that. I like that idea of bringing bringing the listener in I'm not saying listen this is how it is the world's like this and it's gonna be like this and this will happen I'm like imagine this you know like a, a one of those one of those um guided meditations you know can you hear the sound of birds do you see water you feel very relaxed don't you what would you like to do now I'm sort of like that I'm trying to sort of draw you in and And then say, "Hey, you can go wherever you like with this song." And consequently, most of my songs, happily or sadly enough, aren't about any.
0: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just sixty bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. um an incredibly uh successful and lauded album and the track is antarctica why did you choose this
1: um okay um once upon a time the ch- the church went in the studio and jammed for 50 minutes and when we all sat down we went phew um The last thing anybody ever wanted to do was hear that 50 minutes again. Not then, nor ever. And everybody said, everybody said, yeah, I'll I'll wade through it. Oh, no, I'll have a listen to it and sort it out. I'll do something with it. I'll figure out. But nobody ever did. And it sat there for a long time. It was just called A Long Jam with the minutes, 58 minutes, 19 seconds written at the end of it defying anyone to wade through and that that's an hour of your life steve how many hours you've got a day just to sit down and listen to a piece of music an hour long and then go back and i mean even just right there it's an it's a one hour commitment at the very least just to even listen to it all so what i did i um i um <clears throat> i sat down with an engineer and i said i like this bit i like this bit i like we listened to it all the way through i put in the hour I like this bit, this bit. No, no, no. Yes, yes, no, no. I said, okay, cut that up for me into a bit of shape. And he took the bits I liked. I went outside and smoked a joint and and looked at the scenery. And then I came back inside and this very clever geezer, because sometimes these geezers are great because he cut it up the way he wanted to do it. He didn't have any preconceptions. He was working for me. And I said, cut that all into shape. And he cut it up. And when I came back in, I was determined that however he cut it up, that's how it would be. That's what it would be. And I did. And he sort of started off, he took all the drums out of it. So all the time there's drums and bass playing, but at the very beginning, he's taken the drums and the bass right out. So you just hear this very unusual thing of about five guitar overdubs all just churning away at each other, like it was meant to be like that. It all sort of starts with one going, oh, and then another one, oh. It all made sense when there was a drum kit and a bass punctuating this and showing you what it all is. You take that out, suddenly you've got this sort of free-form beginning. And then when the drums and the bass do come in, it's really powerful, doing what they always did. And then and then he just cuts them and then the song completely changes tack halfway through and turns into a sort of bluesy, swampy kind of thing. It's gone from a new ordery thing into a sort of bluesy, swampy while I was out there. And then at the end, it turns into this very fragile, strange little pop song, which is, "Um, on the dark side of town, you take the easy way. Turns it into it's like a jeezy singing, very melodic. And I just love, within that one song, reco- recon- reconciling these three things. Um, and... Antarctica—it's it's such an exciting concept. I reckon it's such—it's like begging to be described by music, like the the beauty, the sleekness, the coldness, the purity, the whiteness, the strange animals, the weather. It's—it's—it's defying. John Cale had a beautiful track called "Antarctica Starts Here" on an album called Paris nineteen nineteen. And he whispers at the end, Antarctica starts here. And so I'm kind of picking up from where he left off, trying to. And then I've woven it into the story. You know, there's a book now, don't you, Steve? I've actually written the book that ties the hypnagog and its yeah. offshoot album, yeah. Erosita and the Perfume Guitars. There is now a book that you can get and it explains all of this. He li- He's living in Antarctica because Australia has been burnt to a crisp with bushfires and climate change. So his parents leave Sydney, and they moved a lot of Australians and people from all around the world are migrating to Antarctica, because in the brief, in this brief sort of warming, um, Antarctica's turned into a not not a bad place to be. At least there's no more bushfires, you know? It's it's so cold and drizzly, but it's safe. And you could imagine all these Australians that have just been battling bushfires for 20 years, just can't handle it anymore. That's that's when, in the book, his father says, I can't, I'm not handling this anymore. When we started making this album, Australia was being ravaged by terrible bushfires in 2019. There were one million native animals dying every day. And Sydney was black. There were cinders falling from the sky. Friends of mine, 200 miles down the south coast, were sending me snapshots of at 11 a.m. in the morning. The sky was black and they're all standing on this beach talk about between the devil and the deep blue sea why their houses burned and they've got their backs to the ocean and if the if the if the fire was to come down onto the beach they're going to walk into the sea and they're all watching some people's houses randomly burn while others the fire would just my my particular friends who were down there the fire for no reason ignored their house and burnt the one down the one in front of it the one behind it burnt down their house was untouched, so sort of that's all become mixed up with the music. And the Australians have gone to Antarctica because they're um they don't they can't handle any more fires. And our boy, the hero Eros Zida, he he's he's in lives in Antarctica and he writes this song about Antarctica, um, because it, you know it's it's he thinks it's groovy.
0: Why? Do you think some artists stagnate and that then you are someone, you know, you mentioned earlier, there's this whole history of music, which you can delve into and 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 um, be inspired and maybe take things from. Um, and then there are other artists who stay in their lane and stay in their track and they seem to stagnate. But it's something that you could never say about Steve Kilby.
1: I hope not. Um, I really appreciate you saying so. And this year, in this, like in the last year, a lot of people, after a lot of work I've done and just keep ploughing, going, doing what I do, writing stuff that I write, doing all these collaborations, re- re- releasing all this music, touring. In the last year, people have started the, the magazines around the world and, and people started, audiences going, wow, this guy's really... Um, he keeps on keeping on. He doesn't sit back and you know what I mean? So I'm really, I'm really glad that I hear you say this. And I'm always hoping for this late minute revival in my fortunes at the age of almost 70. I'm hoping to be sort of like the way Leonard Cohen turned it all around. He was only 56 with I'm your man. Um, I'm hoping to turn around. People suddenly go, wow, this guy's really, um, he keeps on trying all the time. um, And, you know, we we go to these other places, and they're all just knocking out the same old stuff. But Steve Kilby is like actually using his experience and his knowledge and his love. He's still in love with what he does. I don't know why. Why do? It's like the sailor who fell out, fell from grace with the sea. Some musicians. I met a very famous musician the other day. I can't say his say his name, and I was doing this package tour in the Philippines, and he was this very famous, successful guy. And I started to talk to him, and he said, let me put you straight, I don't like music, so don't think I'm going to talk to you about how much I like music. I just do this to make money. I really like doing this other thing that he did, which was building ships, all right? So I'm like, wow, it really, like you think at my age, nothing would disillusion me, I sort of staggered away from there like, that's really sad um, because I, I love this so much. I always have. A lot of things distracted me. Fame or lack of fame, um, um, women and drugs and money and egos and arguing, all those things sort of distracted me. And now I'm sort of down in the, in the home run. I'm just concentrating on on music and writing and art and stuff. And um, I am, I'm, 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 I'm bearing the fruits of all this of I'm enjoying the fruit of all my labor is what I should say. I've worked really hard. I still love it. And I try really hard. I don't ever dish up the same old slop, not for a long time. If you buy one of my records, you can be sure, It's intelligent and um, it's literate and it's got some experimental features and it's made with a lot of love and a lot of craft and the people I collaborate with and the people who engineer it and mix it and the people who do the covers and now even the people who release it, which in the UK is easy action. We're all fans. Everybody, all the people I work with, everybody, they're all fans. Even my new management team in America.
0: They're even a new band too. in a way you know like the people that you've got that you've got in your band where you know um that you, because some left and then the new people you got they're also longtime fans aren't they they're ones they're, that, they're, that knew
1: yes you know yes they're fan yes they're fans of the church and they're fans of music and all of them we still uh, you know we still listen to a lot of music and and sort of talk about it and argue about it and explain to the others what we like. And yes they are now uh, three of these guys are a lot younger than me and when they were teenagers they were very enamored by the church and now they're actually in the damn band they they don't go oh you know like it's easy when you're in something and you've always been in it and you've been in it since the age of 20 to go oh Jesus you know but but these guys are, are sort of they, they love being in it and when we play and when we rehearse and when we write, that they the love and respect all comes out so um I'm in a really I'm um, for this brief time, this brief Indian summer of my life I'm um I have a lot of experience, I know what to do, I know how to write songs, I know how to produce records, I know what's good and what's bad. I'm sort of living it up, making as many records as I can while the sun still shines.
0: well, one thing that underscores what you just said about really Doing the unexpected and changing from one album to the next. If we take the last track, um, Where Gloria Meets Rachel from Eleven Women, I mean, if one album took years, maybe four years, hypnagogue, and then this one was three days yep. in a studio, you know, there can't be a bigger difference between these two. So why did you choose that track where Gloria Meets Rachel?
1: Well, it's just coming out in England. Um, it's just coming out on Easy Action Records, and <clears throat> this is an example of starting out with the most simple thing as a guita- little guitar lick that goes ding, 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 ding. Record four minutes of that, just this guitar go ding, 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 and then come back with another guitar and go ding, 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 and then gradually. You put some chords into it, make it, you shape it and then put random instruments through it. Like it's it's very much like a Tomorrow Never Knows um, or Blue Jay Way. It's very much invoking the Beatles. I, I'd really I'd say with the hypnagog, we have, for example, we have almost absorbed and outgrown all our influences. David Bowie is very prominently um, an an influence of the hypnagogue in the singing. But the music, no. The music's almost like, it's pretty much, you know, it it all comes from somebody else at some point, but we've kind of, we've covered it all up and sort of absorbed it, and now we're spitting it out. And it really is the church. Nobody but the church could have made that record. However, with Gloria Meets Rachel, this is a track It's like, wow, I really love this period of the Beatles when they did stuff like this and they had sort of sitars and cellos and backward cymbals. And there's, to me, there was never enough of that. They moved on too quickly and onto their next thing. But for me, there's a lifetime of inspiration to make one of those kind of, those kind of psychedelic songs, like a, a real sort of you know, weed song, a song to smoke dope to and um, put the headphones on here, everything goes <cammon> and so sort of um and the lyrics are this sort of vaguely philosophical, but nothing heavy. It's like, it's just ear candy, psychedelic ear candy. Um, I'm having fun doing it. Um, it's like a a a sort of song every overdub I kept. Like I didn't sit down and figure out what I was gonna do. I just go right. I play in three days, the whole record was made. I sat down with the drummer and I went doodle doo doodle doo and he just played along. And then I go, right, give me a new track. And whatever happens is that's it. And then the same thing again. Whatever I play, whatever I do, if I get someone else in to do something, whatever they do, I say, this. whatever you do, that's going to be it. You're know, you not, not going to be in here trying to do it for hours. And then I just take the first take of everything and keep it really flesh, fresh. And you know, in, in there you could hear me counting. Well, I was actually that counting wasn't supposed to be in there. It was just to let me know where the next verse was gonna start. But then it sounded great miles off in the distance of going one, two, three, four. You let the whole thing all the accidents and and then you have guys, you know, you muck around on percussion and it's just supposed to be as trippy as you can possibly get it. No great nothing behind it other than that whereas the hypnagogue has sort of more of an ambition of sort of like laying a bit of a a thing on someone this is a this is a concept record this is a story this has sort of emotions where Gloria meets rachel is just a kind of a it's just something groovy just for the sake of it like a like a daydream
0: i think what's interesting when people choose five songs it's not necessarily what they put in but it's what they leave out And I think people who know you and the church in passing, of course, they always think of under the Milky Way. Um, Has that been, or was that ever the noose around your neck?
1: It's like, it's a noose around my neck that sends me a big check every three months. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's, um, that's, that's, that's my thing to reconcile. It's like the devil said, do you want to hit song? And I said, yes. And he said, you're going to fucking hate it sooner or later, but it's going to make you a lot of money. And I said, all right, I'll take it. I'll take it. And, and now, yes, I hate it. I hate talking about it. I hate, I just, you know, like when people come along and film my show and I play for two and a half hours and then that's the song they put up, which, on their on their instagram page there's me doing it under the milky way and you know it's like all these songs i've written and people just talk about this one song um yes that's a blessing and a curse that's duality that's a first world problem steve
0: yeah <laughs> really we like is. we like first world problems yes, um, we do. okay the five songs aura when you think of falling uh, pangea uh, antarctica and where gloria meets rachel got a number one
1: I think I would say, at the moment, I'd say Antarctica. Um, When we were playing this on the last tour, um, there was an incredible feeling um, when the guitars start up going, and then suddenly I look at the drummer and we both kick in, and it was a truly triumphant rock and roll moment, sort of like... um, this missing ingredients and suddenly there it is and the bass is pumping and the drums are hammering it's just a great just a great rock and roll moment so i i have to say antarctica definitely that's
0: brilliant steve i've got to say one thing at the end when the last time i talked to you and this time when i talked to you um and i talked about what other people glean from you and you talked about the studio but for me it's your creativity and your energy and this vitality that really is the ability to transfer it to someone else. And uh, I have to say, apart from doing this podcast next month, I'm writing a book and I'm I'm writing a book and I'm writing another screenplay. I'm taking a month off and I'm having my Steve Kilby moment <laughs> as well. So thanks, Steve. That's
1: amazing. That's thank you amazing. so much. Good luck with that. And you know what? Persevere and do something every day. Don't, not, don't, you just sit there every day, get the book out, get the screenplay out, and do something. That's my advice. Brilliant.
0: Steve, listen, thanks so much, and good luck with all your uh, ventures in the future. And I, thank you. I will see you again, I hope.
1: You will, Steve, you're an absolute legend, you really are. I'll see you later. <laughs> all right, bye. See you. Bye, mate.
0: Up there is an interview I recommend down there is where you can find all the podcast interviews and here is where you can connect